Welcome to another episode of your favorite sporting, hockey, everything else encapsulated podcast. It is Hockey the Podcast coming to you not exactly live, but uh, just pretend it is to wherever you are listening from. And uh, yeah, another episode uh, as we edge closer towards the magical 100 mark. Uh, I'm Derek Alberts, and as always, uh, with me and my partner in crime is Tyron Jabu Barnard. I say as always because I can say that, but uh, the last couple of weeks he didn't really say that about me because, uh, yeah, as you know, he was pretty much flying the flag solo for the show and doing a great job at it as well. But uh, Tyron, welcome back as always. How are you doing? Yeah, Derek, it's, it's always good and it's great that... Uh you know, we went from a daily podcast over Tokyo, having a week off, and now this week we're going to bomb you with three Hockey the Podcasts in one week, uh, which is pretty cool as we uh, roll our way quickly to the uh, the century mark. What are we, 97 now? And uh, yeah, I mean, when you get 100, uh, if you're a, a hockey umpire, when you do 100 test caps, you get a golden whistle, um, and I'm thinking that maybe you and I should get a golden microphone. I mean, it'll be fake gold, but maybe we should do that. The Golden Microphone Award. Yeah, that's a great idea. It can be gold-plated. How about that? Yeah, or like gold-colored tinfoil. Yeah. Uh, Copper's kind of goldish sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait for it, Derek. Wait for it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, Raider Media, we're taking things up a level. (laughs) <laughs> uh, anyway sliding along <laughs> okay so welcome back to the show you can see someone's got a brand new toy and he's having a lot of fun but uh, ty an absolute stellar guest that we've uh, got on the show this time around well if you talk about golden whistles this person should probably have a platinum one uh she is arguably South Africa's finest exports into the world of umpiring alongside the likes of John Wright and, and Peter and, and uh, Marilise de Klerk, but, but holding her own and, and really probably our best umpire in South Africa right now. It is none other than Michelle Hubert, just back from Tokyo. Michelle, welcome. Welcome to the show. Good evening, guys. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And um, yeah, I hope you guys are doing well. And um, thank you for everything you're doing for hockey. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. I, it would be remiss to start anywhere else than uh, Tokyo. You did the bronze medal match. It, I mean, the, the, the photos coming from your, your social media looked absolutely great. Um, was it everything you hoped for, even though there were no fans? Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously under the, the circumstances, um, you know, we had to obviously probably in when we found out that uh, 2020 was being postponed to 2021 and all the uncertainties that came with that and also not knowing till probably two months before the time whether the tournament was going to go on. Um, I think it surpassed my expectations and um, the goals that I'd set out for myself to achieve was just basically to go out enjoy the opportunity and um, to make the best of it. And definitely Tokyo didn't fall short of anything but uh, excellent. Um, the way they looked after us, the way we were received, um, and just obviously the level of hockey being played, thinking we've missed almost uh, two seasons of hockey. So, yeah. I mean, the great British uh, ladies uh, must must like you because you did the gold medal match and they won that in 2016. And <laughs> they're now on the bronze medal. Is it? Uh, are you their lucky charm or...? <laughs> It's just uh, good to be out there. I think you keep more track than what I do. I honestly, from one game to the next, I honestly can't remember anything. Um, I often forget in games whether that I've, I was the one issuing a yellow card because um, for those who don't know, after the, the games, if you've issued a yellow card, um, you have to do a little bit of admin and explain why you gave the yellow card. So I'm one of the few that will say, was it me that gave the yellow card? So in terms of memory, it, it's all just a blank. Um, so I just I just remember the sensation and the feeling of being out there on the field with the high-level teams. And um, yeah, so you obviously keep a more record than what I do. So if I do happen to be there, good luck, Tom. Um, I'm proud to be that, yeah. <laughs> Michelle, great to have you on the show. Uh, we were speaking off here about the fact that we haven't actually met before. I mean, not talking about in person, but 
uh, all round uh, digitally as well. So so great to have uh, ticked that one off the list uh, for now. But uh, yeah, we definitely make it, have to make a plan to to do it in person. Now, our business yes, partner was uh, very much involved with Tokyo 2020, so he spent uh, the entirety of the Olympic Games uh, in the Olympic Village from start to finish. And he's been to a few Olympics, and he said it, it was amazing. But, of course, uh, it was you were very aware that there were COVID protocols in place because everywhere you went, you had to adhere to strict protocols. And, of course, there were, there were no fans on board. So being a... A person who who knows the Olympics through and through, uh, what was that? Did that take a, a slight joy out of it, or was it the fact that it's the Olympics? Who gives a damn if they're fans or no fans? I'm here in Tokyo, where the best of the best are vying to aim for a gold, silver, or bronze. Yeah, Derek. I think you know to a certain extent, um, Tokyo, obviously being my my third Olympics, um, I don't think any two Olympics would ever give you the same sensation. Um, so I think not in terms of the COVID protocols, not being able to have our off day, which we didn't, we only the women had one off day. The men didn't have any uh, off days. In the past, you would be given a, a free pass to go and watch different sports. So obviously that being taken away, staying in your hotel room um, and the TVs in the hotel room is not giving you access to any of the sports really um, to watch that on, uh, you know, to watch that live on TV. Um, sort of, you know, we, we were based between the field and the hotel, uh, our hotel rooms, but still we made the best of it. And I think in, in any sport and in any team environment, it's, it's about the, the company that you keep. So, and then obviously the mindset being there to, to perform and to obviously, uh, you know, to, to give the best of yourself to the teams um, who have prepared so long for this tournament and ultimately for them, it is the chase for uh, better world rankings, um, the gold and obviously bronze medal games. Um, so yeah, I think for every person, it's 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 important for their own um, planning and preparation. But I, I don't think it's taken anything away. It, it, what is actually scary is I was there for the 2019 test event, where I managed to travel a bit um, to see Tokyo City um, a little bit and to see what the venue was like then and to what that actually build the infrastructure to still produce a world-class event. Regardless of the spectators, we still got the, the Olympic vibe. Um, so we still felt, um, you know, part of that, that whole uh, atmosphere. Um, so, yeah, with regards to the crowds, it's something I switch off completely from when I'm out on the field. So to me, on the field experience, it didn't, didn't take anything away um, in terms of memories. But, yeah, it would have been nice to have crowds cheering and things like that. It always adds to the vibe. But I think at the end of the day, the level of hockey that was still displayed, um, you know, for, for the viewers on, on TV uh, all over the world, it was, um, you know, it must have been something uh, amazing to experience. It's amazing. I've been speaking to sports administrators or officials for uh, you know, the last couple of months or so regarding the entire process uh, in terms of COVID and, and having to referee matches, fans or no fans, which one's better. And, and the majority to a man or lady say, well, there's no question. It's better without fans from a pressure point of view because obviously you don't, you don't get fans screaming in your ear when they disagree with a call, which of course is pretty much 50% of the fans. Uh, but, but you say you switch off and, and you don't really notice it either way. No, not at all. I think, um, you know, every person at that level, we, we all have different ways that, that help us concentrate and, and get into that game zone is what we call it. Um, some people need the pressure, and I'm definitely one of those people. So the more the merrier um, in terms of my concentration levels. But I think that sort of pressure with, uh, you know, your visualization and the uh, psychology that goes into sports and especially officiating in sports, you've got to create that environment for yourself, even if it's not in a live, um, you know, audience or whatever. Uh, I have that in my head as part of my prep um, and pre-match sort of ritual that, you know, you want to walk out in the stadium the TV cameras are still there. Uh, so all of those things are there. And, and then at the end of the day, we also have to pull ourselves back into perspective that the games are not about us. It's actually about the teams um, and to deliver a quality product that people enjoy watching also. So it's, there's a bigger picture to all of it. Um, so it keeps me humble and it, you know, it still helps me or helped me to focus quite a bit in the games. And um, I was obviously very relaxed. So, but yeah, it would have been nice to have spectators there just to share the, the experience with. And um, so unfortunately it, it wasn't 
the, the ideal situation, but I think, um, you know, and also even in terms of preparation, I mean, some teams have spent months, um, you know, going in and out of training camps and things like that, where locally I had, I think if I had four games, it was a lot before uh, leaving for Tokyo. So that was a different level of pressure on its own. But, um, you know, we, we learn quickly to get, you've got to get comfortable with the expecting the unexpected um, and to just adapt to change as quickly as possible and not let it get to you. So, yeah, it seemed to have worked out for me. Michelle, one of the things that a lot of people wouldn't know is that, uh, well, not necessarily that they wouldn't know, but you don't go as part of Team South Africa. You are not somebody who is uh, paid for by Sascock. You are not a a guest of theirs. You go as part of Team FIH. So where do you stay? So uh, we were booked into the World Prime uh, Hotel, Shikara Hotel, which was located in the city, probably about 15 minutes from the venue. So all the officials from all the different sporting codes stayed at this uh, one hotel. And we were each allocated our own rooms. And all the hockey officials stayed on the 26th floor, which was, um, you know, for after our, you know, meetings and things like that, we were able to sit in the corridors and just socialize with our own groups. Your room key won't allow you to go to any other floor other than your own. So we were restricted uh, quite a lot. Um, and then, obviously, due to COVID protocols, we were not—we didn't have any access to even go close to the Olympic Village um, to actually see what it looked like. So, and again, the same as what I've used my social media to try and share the experience from an umpire's perspective. I think we followed the players' experiences, you know, within the village as well. So we're pretty much low key. Um, you know, uh, it's obviously all the officials. So you see people, you start small talk, you know, in the lobby or at breakfast in the mornings. Um, so we met some officials from different countries um, and different sporting codes, but, you know, it's, it's such a long day. You leave the hotel early in the mornings for either the first session, then come back and to avoid the cabin fever, you know, for the afternoon session, we all just go back to the fields again just to support each other. So we were not limited with regards to the, the time that we spent at the fields, but, um, yeah, so that at least helped us to, to keep sane. So. And, and, I mean, obviously, as a result, you don't actually have access to the Olympic Village, or or do you? No, we haven't. Well, in the past, also not. I actually don't even know if we we are allowed to go there. Um, I think uh, part of our pre-tournament online meetings and things like that that we've had, um, and this is the first time that it's happened in in my career, where we actually attended an online meeting where they spoke about um, things like match fixing, match fixing, um, bribing, things like that. Exactly what it could look like. Um, you know, we've got a, we had a whole social media protocol on what we can post and can't post and simple wording like um, Argentina are planning to defend today. So I'm looking forward to the game. Um, that could be bought or be read as mass fixing. So um, and also uh, online um, betting and things like that. So it's actually such a big world out there that we the more we get exposed to these things, the more we understand how, how critical it is um, and how something so innocent can actually blow up to be. Uh, something that's I, I obviously carries on that we unaware of. So um, protocol in place, we don't really interact with the athletes um, other than on the field, um, and that's it. So yeah, our coaches also we'll chat to them at the venues a little bit, but not too much interaction between officials and coaching staff. Michelle, having a look around and, and what you've achieved over the the past uh, number of years. And being, I mean, you speak about the fact that uh, you're a veteran when it comes to Olympics. I mean, what a, what a sentence to say. And do you ever take it all in and just take stock of, of your life and, and realize, hey, I've, I've done a pretty good job in something that I, I really enjoy? It's a good question, Derek. Um, I think for, for me, it's it's always so difficult to to sit back and, and just think about myself um, and think about achievements. Um, I think more when I reflect, and I think it's a big part of, of my life, um, it's to look at how far I've come, the opportunities that I've been given, and you know, just to see when I come back home, um, and even just on social media, just how much support there is out there is outside for, for officials for sports. And I think um, what is probably the biggest gift that I can have is, is, you know, to be able to inspire people to to take on officiating in sports and people to become passionate about sports. And I always, you know, as much as what we want to take um, credit for all these things, uh, you know, it's all about uh, there's a lot of luck involved with it. There's, it's opportunities. And I know 
A lot of people who have the same passion as what I do, probably even more talent. It's all about opportunities and it's when it all comes together for you. And then when you get that one opportunity, um, you know, it's your time to shine and it's make or break. So I think I've been lucky over the course of my career. Um, and yeah, I've just, I've met some amazing people um, and always, it, it's not always a, a highway to, to the perfect uh, appointments. There's been a lot of challenges, but I've also reflection, like, like I said, as part of a big part of what I do after tournaments, after games. Um, and you've got to take life lessons from everything. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, a long career, um, but I'm still passionate about hockey, the sport um, as a whole. And I think just umpiring has allowed me not playing, um, but to umpire still gives me the best seats in the house in terms of these big fixtures so, and big tournaments. Um, and that's being out there in the mix on the field. Um, with all the passion and just being able to, to officiate. So as a player, I would call myself as all passion and no skills. So um, if the skill is in the umpiring, then that's what I did, yeah. Well, there's no question because you speak about the fact that uh, it wasn't always plain sailing. And I mean, I think that would be pretty much the, the standard uh, if, if you're speaking about being an umpire, any referee um, for that matter, I just think it's, it's almost as if uh, you've you've got a bit of a death wish to to take over that role or or be a bit of a sadist because i mean you're damned if you do damned if you don't uh you're always going to piss off 50% of the players um one way or the other and uh, when we do have fans in the stands it, it could probably be the same if not more so if you're playing away from home or or, or depend, whatever i mean you just it's always a yeah. thankless job, and you always hear about the referees or umpires when they do everything wrong, but you do you hear nothing about when they do things right. Uh, was it a, a easy transition to become an umpire, and, and was it something you always aspired to do, given the challenges that comes with it? Um, Derek, definitely not. Uh, I never thought of umpiring while I was at school. Even my first couple of years after school, didn't think that umpiring would be anything that I would take on. Um, you mentioned John and Peter Wright earlier. Those are the two guys that um, was part of TUT is where I played hockey, Toronto University of Technology. And um, yeah, the umpire that for the next game after I played and pitch up, um, true to my form, I drew the short straw and had to take the whistle for the next game. And um, from there, I just got sent to an under-21 tournament and was by far the worst umpire. So if you're the worst umpire at a tournament, um, you get the Dawn Patrol games, so the 8 o'clock in the morning games. So that was me five days in a row. And I remember leaving this tournament that was in Durban um, and just saying, I came back and I'm like, what are you guys on about? What are you, why would I want to do this? Um, I didn't, I was never exposed to this world. And um, yeah, between John, Peter, and also Marilise was they were, you know, big parts. Um, they played big roles in in my umpiring career. Whenever I felt like giving up, it was always just you know push a little bit more. You've got something in you. Um, and yeah, once I started, you know, traveling and meeting people, I became more passionate about it. So your eyes really open so much more towards the sport. And I think it's changed me as a person as well. Um, I'm be, I'll be the first person to take on anyone that that abuses officials. And it's also, it's such a, when we connect with officials from other sports, it's like we we have a, like a, there's a certain code that we speak to each other. We understand each other's pain and frustrations and things like that. Um, sometimes decisions go your way and, and you are the hero on the day. And then, you know, you're as good as your last, obviously, decision that you've made. Um, and I think over the years, if you can show respect to the teams and to the coaches, that's how you build up, uh, you know, rapport with the teams um, and management. And then after that, they understand that mistakes you know, we don't get on the field saying, I feel like just making mistakes today. We, same as teams, um, you know, have a good day, have a bad day. You've got to walk away from it, um, you know, having learned from it and try to see where you went wrong um, and hopefully not repeat that within the same tournament. Um, and then also, I think it's mistakes that keeps us humble as well. Um, so I think also as, as an official in any sport, if it goes to your head, you will get caught out very quickly. We, we, we've just seen the British and Irish Alliance um, series here in South Africa where officialdom has taken center stage. Yes. Yeah. Erasmus uh, emerged with uh, a, a documentary that was out there to try and uh, rival Chasing the Sun, an yes. hour-long uh, introspection. Have you ever, over the course of your, your career, had a coach or coaching staff bring up video analysis to you and say, mm, Michelle, <laughs> Can we talk about this decision? <laughs> yeah, we have those often. Um, and I think at tournaments, it, it happens more often than not. Um, but, uh, even now in, in uh, Tokyo, 
it's within 15 minutes, 20 minutes after the game, uh, video clips would come through and, and coaches query, but they, they won't send it to us. They said they obviously follow protocol, so they'll send it to our managers. Um, and then we have our debriefs uh, after after each game. And then we have a look at the clips and we check and see where we made, where we made mistakes. And um, obviously we either agree or disagree with the coaches. And, and like I said, that's the best way that we can learn is by making mistakes and then learning from it and moving on. Um, it's trying to understand you know, what the mindset was in that moment. Uh, you know, if you make a decision while you're on the move, often you get caught in line with play, so you see play differently to what you would when you, when you have play coming towards you. So positioning is a key part, um, fitness is a key part, and being able to, to perform under pressure. So, um, yeah, I mean, those video clips, uh, obviously, is, is quite a, it's a learning tool, and that's how I see it. I don't take it as a personal thing, and um, for me also, I that I am on the field and the person that I'm off the field are obviously two different people. You've got your game face on, on the field. Um, and I think, like I said earlier, over the years, you've built, you know, rapport and uh, respect between the coaching staff and the players. So, you know, they, they are forgiving at that level. They are forgiving. I think locally uh, players and coaches are um, less reluctant to actually take on uh, the idea that umpires do make mistakes. Um, at an international level, we have the video referral system. So you have that extra, you know, jump at the straw to try and get the decision right. Um, and even that doesn't always come out to be the, the right decision. And um, yeah, I, I think you've got the rule book and then you have the game and then officiating happens in between that. Um, how you would apply the rule in a final um, would be completely different to how you would apply it in a local league match. Um, so yeah, and, and I think that's where experience builds up over years and yeah, you, you learn to deal with situations on the field and it's, it doesn't always fall within the black and white board that is uh, in the rule book of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, it's it's an interesting state you, you 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 make because I think quite often in South Africa we like to be uh, almost play a victim mentality and blame an umpire if a result doesn't go away instead of taking accountability. I think we saw a nice change in terms of our men uh, in in the Olympics. We saw that uh, the Great Britain game they probably lost that game down to poor discipline, and in speaking yeah. to Coach Gareth Ewing, the team took accountability. They you know, whether they agreed with the calls or not, they said our discipline has to be better. You know, as an umpire, that must be refreshing to hear a team taking accountability instead of trying to label the blame at the umpire's feet. 100%, Aaron. And I have to give Old Springs um, a whole lot of credit uh, with the amount of work that he's done with the, with the national, with the men's team um, prior to Tokyo. Um, they were in part for a, a training camp to play against the under 21s. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, to use, well, to get four games there. Um, and after two games, Springs asked me to just have a rules discussion with the guys. And um, I, so I just took the our Tokyo briefing and I just told them, you know, this is how the briefing is. Um, you know, this is how we're going to umpire towards to, to the briefing, what the umpires expect of the players how we interpret, um, you know, gray, gray areas like the, the aerial ball, um, play off the ball, things like that. What, what do you, you know, these subtle things that the players do by stepping over the ball, trying to delay play things. And the crucial areas um, on the field, you know, which are a match breaking or match deciding decisions. You know, um, if you stand over the ball or deliberately break down play inside your defensive 23, it's a penalty corner. And I think for most of us, we do know hockey, especially at an international level, a penalty corner conceded is almost 99% of the time that you, you give a goal. Um, and I think that the guys just, it, was, it wasn't just an instruction that I gave them. It was two-way conversation. They had interesting questions. Um, and I could see it in the last two games that I, that I umpired and watched, just the, the mindset change and the discipline on the field. Um, so they really worked hard, I think, from Springs aside to, to bring this in, and also for the players to take it on board and to understand, you know, you're not always going to get the umpires on your side. The umpires are not always going to get things right. They are going to miss things. But, you know, the players, teams also need to be consistent. Sometimes your team wins a game, you know, uh, with a bad umpire decision. And sometimes your team is on the receiving end and losing a game because of a, an umpire's decision. So at the end of the day, you know, we've also got to look at the team's perform overall performance. Um, there are those times where it's just it is what it is um, and it's sad. But yeah, uh, it's it's not easy to umpire. It's not easy to to be involved in the game as an official. But um, I don't think any of us do it. Definitely not for the money for hockey. Um, we do it because we have a passion, 
Um, and yeah, I think, like I said, it, the important thing is, is to, to be open to learn uh, from every experience. I don't think you ever stop learning. And then to be humble enough to, to learn from each other and also from what the coaches say. Um, and also we, we need to understand what teams are trying to achieve on the field. We've got to understand their way of play. Um, you've got your Latin American teams that play a different style of hockey to what the Europeans do. And when those two teams play against each other, you, you apply the rules differently. So, um, yeah, it's, you, you constantly, you're thinking about the games. And if you go in unprepared, you will get caught out. You speak about um, doing so, it. Oh. Okay. Go for it, Dick. Go for it. Yeah, no, just, <laughs> Michelle, you speak about the, the fact that you – you do it for the passion, not necessarily for the paycheck. And, of course, with it comes a, a lot of perks, uh, one of them being travel. And you spoke about having been to Olympics uh, three times now. And there's there's no question that travel is uh, a big part of, of what you do. And uh, there's no doubt that you must truly enjoy it, I, I could imagine. Uh, and it's, it's something that Ty and I really, really enjoy. And whenever we do have guests on board who... We have seen a fair bit of the world. We certainly do get to that side of the conversation. And 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 what sticks out for you, uh, memory-wise, when it comes to to traveling? I mean, what 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 countries have you really really enjoyed visiting? And uh, yeah, take it away. Um, so yeah, I, I remember. Well, my first international tour um, was a four nations tournament in India. Um, that was a big eye opener for me, just in terms of you know you you watch. Uh, documentaries or whatever on, on TV and you see what India looks like um, and then to go there um, for a small Four Nations tournament, you don't stay in the best hotels um, and there's just so much poverty and I think the 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 richness doesn't come from, like I said, the financial side but you come back home and we just appreciate so much more um, what we have here and to understand that there's there are countries that are worse off than us um, so and to just try and make a change or make a difference and open other people's eyes locally and especially with the kids that I work with as well so um, India stood out just in terms of uh, their fan base um, obviously cricket and hockey men's hockey especially the Commonwealth Games I was there in 2010 which is a much better tournament um, just accommodation wise if the accommodation is perfect at least you know it, it helps a lot um, best memories, I would probably go to the 10, 2010 World Cup in, in Argentina, Rosario. Uh, yo, uh, their women's hockey is equivalent to what the football is in Argentina, and I think that speaks for itself. Um, they had about the stadium capacity was about 16,000. Um, and to see those people cheer um, for Argentina, obviously, and they made it through to the final and, and won the World Cup um, in 2010. That was an unbelievable experience. Um, I still get goosebumps when I think about it. The national anthem playing, um, yeah, it was just, and, and these are the things that I remember. I don't really remember appointments, but from this tournament, I do remember um, I got a semi-final. I was still young at that stage. Um, so it was, it was sort of unexpected. Um, and yeah, and then after that, it was probably the 2014 World Cup in, in The Hague, where it was men and women's uh, World Cups combined. Um, where I got appointed also to the final. But there what stood out to me was just how they transformed a football stadium into just this amazing hockey venue. And to see again what the Dutch do, you know, when it's a stadium also about 20,000, 25,000 people just all supporting one country. Um, so, yeah, and then I think I'm more of a nature seeker. So Brazil, Rio stood out for me. Um, you get to go to places that you would never go to on holiday um, and you just you experience all these different cultures. Um, and I must say, you know, with having traveled so many places, you come back to South Africa and you appreciate the diversity that we have, the different cultures that we have, uh, religions. There's so much sadness going around in our country, but yet again, we, we're so rich in so many ways that I don't think any other country has. And then obviously the South African sense of humor that takes us a long way. We are liked by a lot of other people from other countries. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a dark sense of humor, but I think our circumstances make us a, a bit more relaxed and laid back in terms of when you go to a restaurant and you expect certain service or whatever, you order a pizza and they bring you pasta, it's food, you'd eat it. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, it's just, it's it's been an, an unreal um, journey for me um, and it's made me look forward to starting to plan holidays overseas Yeah I, I completely concur with regards to those countries I, I'm lucky to have, have seen a, a few of them too and funny enough we're actually doing this interview I don't know if you're aware 
on the anniversary of India's independence. So it is their Independence Day from from Great Britain. And uh, I actually posted a photo from my experience there a couple of years back. And I just said it's a it's a country that stole my heart. And yes, uh, I you know I, I've actually never been I've never witnessed a more hospitable people than I have in India. Yes. Uh, granted, South Africa are extremely hospitable, but as a South African, being in South Africa, it's a little different. Uh, being a foreigner yeah. in another country, <laughs> then that's where, yeah. really where you've got to understand it. And uh, uh, hands down, I mean, the people I met in India were just absolutely wonderful and would have given me their shirt or their backs if they could, if I needed it. And, and like you yes. say, the poverty is everywhere, but it, it's almost as if it's a strange feeling because it's... It's as if they they if they're born into it they almost they're happy with that fact and and I know I mean hockey is obviously their national sport but but cricket is is also very much a religion there and it was strange yes. seeing how big an impact sport had on the people there and I know we speak about South Africa being a, a sporting country but it pales in comparison to to Indians love for for cricket and and also hockey but I, I mean I remember. Um, you could be, you could have nothing in your hands in terms of of, of riches, and yes. Sachin Tendulkar goes and scores a century, and then your your absolute world is made, and and that's that's what I, I picked up there. In that, the, the, like when people say sport is a religion in countries, it's like oh, it's a throwaway line. In India, it really means that. Yes, yes. Um, I don't know if you know the story behind uh, the Indian teams now in, in Tokyo. Um, so they had the sports minister contact the two teams because they'd already done fairly well in, in the pool games. Um, they were notified that if they if either one of the two teams uh, come away with a medal, that they would uh, receive property, um, housing, they would receive money. Wow. Um, state in India would actually contribute um, whatever they want to. Um, and it's been amazing. I've actually followed uh, their journey now since being back home. And it is these, and especially for hockey um, and especially women's hockey, it's given so much hope in a country where, you know, it's frowned upon as a female to participate in sport. Um, it's not within their culture. And if you look at Rani, the captain, she posted something on Facebook on her life story, um, which was, I don't think it was meant really for any audience because um, it had a little bit of Hindu writing in it and they'd actually asked her to translate just the quotes that she had given about what her dad told her and her coach told her. Um, so it's just, it's such a motivational story. And I think, you know, it, it, this is why we do sport. You know, there's there's so many stories because you 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 can share so much about your personal life and, and there's so few people that have achieved the, the heights in their sporting careers without facing some sort of adversity, either, you know, away from the sports field at home, having nothing. Um, Ronnie wasn't able to play hockey because she was malnutrition. Um, they had to take full payment um, to their hockey practices, 500 mils of milk um, as a little kid, and they didn't have 500 mils of milk, so she just filled up her 200 mil bottle with water um, to 500 mils so she could go to practice and, and just, you know, start a hockey career. And then from there, get the family to buy in. And it's just such a motivational story. And to see this team, they fell short of the bronze medal, but, you know, they got back home and the country's so proud of them and they've just instilled so much hope um, for, for the future. And I think we, it's, it's a space to watch as Indian sport just, you know, climbing the ranks. There's more money being pushed to them. And I just wish, you know, the same for South Africa would happen at some stage. Uh, uh, the sport is so rich at school level. Um, but it, it just dies down afterwards because there's just no money. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, and you just think a country with the, the size and resources of India, if they yeah. are able to support their athletes, we're going to get an amazing stories and you're going to get world domination yeah. um, from them, as we've seen in the cricket. Uh, Michelle, you, you made an interesting statement that you've had some great highs in your career, some 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 lows, but really have had an amazing experience. You are not at the age where you have to uh, call it quits by the FIH rules. In fact, you're quite yes. far away from that age still. Yeah. But you have a decision that you'd like to share with everybody. <laughs> yeah. um, so I've been toiling with, with this decision for, for some time. Um, it didn't come overnight. Um, I've had a quite a, I would say probably since Rio 2016, 
Um, I've been challenged outside my comfort zone. Um, you know, you've got things that you, the controllables that you control, and that's how you prepare for tournaments. Um, you know, what you do on the field, uh, those are the things that you control, but there are other things and there's politics everywhere. So it, it's been a, it's been a rough ride since 2016. I'm trying to just get myself back and get myself belief back and, and trust with that, you know, that I, what I, that I'm good enough. And um, I remember as the appointments came out for Tokyo, Tokyo uh, 2020, back in, it was early 2019, um, I thought of myself, you know, I thought this would be a good way to, to motivate myself to prepare for a tournament, um, you know, focus on my fitness, uh, get everything in, in line with what I can control. Um, but the idea would be to go to this tournament and just have fun. Um, no pressure. Um, and yeah, it was on the first day of the tournament, um, we had one-on-one -on -one meetings with our umpire managers and I said that I was going to retire after this tournament. Um, I had set my goal out for myself and I also spoke to the umpire managers and, and said to them, I don't have any, because one of the questions were, what are your goals for the tournament? And I just said, I wanted to be the best version of me. I want to get my passion back for the sport so that when I hang up my whistle, that I can still you know, promote hockey for what it is. And it really, really is an amazing sport. Whether you're a player, an umpire or a coach, there's so many rewards and so many life lessons to be learned from it. Um, and I, would, I just wanted to get that passion back. So for me, the best way to end would be to be on a high um, as opposed to having, you know, a bitter taste in your mouth because of certain uh, experiences. And I think Tokyo just surpassed all of my expectations um, just from my own performance and also our teammates that we've had. There's a group of young, very talented umpires coming through. So, yeah, I'm about five years short of my actual retirement age. But I think it's time to, to step aside. There are young umpires that missed out on this Tokyo appointment. Um, and I think they, they will be able to, to serve the game, um, you know, and, and get themselves ready to, for, for the next level of hockey that's, you know, that's going to happen. Um, where we're heading towards uh, in terms of hockey, what is going to be the next Olympic sport? There's a lot of talk about hockey fives, things like that. But I think uh, after uh, India's performances and the amount of uh, viewership that they, they got for, on hockey, um, I think hockey is in for the next Olympics definitely to stay. So, yeah, my call is to, to call it quits um, on an international level. I will have to wait and see what happens, what other opportunities lie ahead for me. But other than that, I would still be involved locally. My idea is to, you know, share my experiences and try and coach uh, hockey as much as possible and just be involved locally to try and be for someone else um, what, what I receive from my support group and my peer group, um, you know, locally. So, yeah, if I could, you know, get someone else to the next level, um, that would be just another affair in my cap, I think. Uh, Michelle, you can look back at your career and have so much pride. I mean, I've uh, over the years I've known you. I've only seen someone who's incredible. I've I've seen you umpire many uh, vastly cup men's games, uh, some club men's games, even the, a couple of international men's tests in amongst all your others. And uh, so good are you that there was no, you know, gender border. You were the best umpire in this country for some time and, and we've been blessed as a country to have you representing us and uh, in fact i know i say i've got new toys and stuff but <laughs> what a career what a career it has been um and i wish i wish that button had more cheers and hollows and you know, <laughs> don't have crowds because of COVID. Um, yeah. but, but i mean michelle you, you can be incredibly proud i know around the world there are a lot of people that look up to you and, uh, you know, it sometimes seems weird when, when you talk to umpires, umpires are like, no, it's not about me. And, and, and that's often what, what you've been like, but it is about you because you have become an ambassador for the country and you've done it so well, uh, three Olympic games, three world cups. I mean, and, and at all times, the pride of South Africa has been there. So, uh, from us, we say thank you. And also Thank you for being willing to to share your news with us here on Hockey the Podcast. Oh, well, thank you, uh, Tyron and, and Derek. I think what you guys are doing is amazing. Um, you've just obviously, you know, put put the officials out there as well and, and given exposure. And I think, you know, our job as as seniors in in the game, um, you know, we need to try and give more exposure to and, and give young people the hope to dream and to also, you know, if if I'm from Sasselberg and you know didn't 
have any major funding or anything like that. It was just simply the passion that I had for the game and taking on opportunities. And that's literally how I got to, to where I am today. Um, and I'm grateful for every opportunity. And like I said, the life lessons that I've learned um, and continue to learn will stay with me forever. Um, the memories are there. Um, I've met some amazing people, the friends that have become sort of hockey family. Um, and, uh, you know, what, what you guys do with your show also, it's, it's amazing what you're doing for hockey. And I think we are so hungry to get people to to give exposure to the sport and, and no better way than what, what you guys are doing as well. So thank you very much. No, I promise you the pleasure is all ours, Michelle. Thank you. And congratulations on an absolutely stellar career. And uh, really disappointed we haven't met in person, but that will certainly change in the near future <laughs> because uh, I have to congratulate you in person to say uh, what a remarkable job you have done. And thank you for uh, letting us be the platform in which uh, you chose to to announce this this massive decision, which I'm sure you, you thought long and hard about, uh, as you said. And uh, yeah, I, I'm sure it is the correct one and uh, one that caps uh, a remarkable career. Yeah, definitely, Derek. I couldn't ask for a better way to end off my career. And I, I thought, you know, I'd be, I would be a little bit nostalgic and maybe thinking, was it the right decision when I came back from Tokyo from such a high? And I just, I'm, I'm at peace with the decision. I'm looking forward to the next, uh, you know, chapter in, in my journey. And um, yeah, I'm sure we will definitely meet each other and hopefully through hockey again. Um, but yeah, just again, from my side, thank you so much. I'm really humbled by the opportunity and um, I wish you guys all the best with the rest of your interviews for this week and uh, congratulations on the 100 being lined up for this week as well. Yeah, thank you very much. And, and on that subject, I mean, we, we touched on uh, on it uh, a little earlier, uh, speaking about the, the golden microphone that we'd like to award, yeah. award ourselves. Uh, and I mean, I'm looking at, uh, I'm sitting in my office as we speak and I've got a a few mementos uh, sitting proudly, including uh, the Eastern Cape Beer Tasting Award uh, that, I, that I won uh, a, a number of years ago. I mean, that's a, a rubbish award, but I, I put it pretty in a pretty proudful place. Uh, where sits your golden whistle? Sure. Um, they have upgraded the, the golden whistle a bit um, since I received mine. So the, the, the new one is actually the size of a, a proper whistle um, and it, it, it does look nice and it's nicely engraved. Um, mine is somewhere, I'll have to look for it. Um, it is smaller than a keychain. Um, it's one of the older ones. It's got a small little FIH engraved on it. Um, so yeah, it, it's somewhere. I'm not really one for mementos and things like that um, and little souvenirs and things. So I have a whole lot of collected or a whole um, batch of things that I've collected over the years, um, little obviously tokens and coins and the Olympics uh, coins that they give us, all sorts of gifts. Um, and I think one day I'll sit and just unpack all these boxes and just reminisce. But for now, um, you know, the, the memories are still so vivid in my head and, and that's what I tap into when I want to relive memories um, haven't seen any of my Olympic games, so I would like to at some stage just go and relive that. And, and I think that's where probably the enjoyment will come out. I think when you're in game mode, uh, all you try and think of is just, just get one decision right after the other. Um, but yeah, my golden whistle is somewhere in a collection box or in a plastic box somewhere in the garage, um, which will hopefully find its way out. I've got to think of my creative uh, ways to try and make it look. Um, I'm quite um, shy to put things up in the house um, and make it a hockey house. So a lot of things will have to go at some stage. Maybe I can send something for your office to hang up next to your beer achievement. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> More than happy to send you something. You can put in a request. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's good. These are all materialistic things um, that will eventually, you know, go to nothing. Um, but what what I think we need to hold on is, is the memories and the friends and all of those things. So it will just be, for me, it will just be to remain, to stay in contact with the friends that I've made the good laughs we've had. Um, and also, I mean, behind the scenes, umpires are human. We do have a drink, you know, at night sometimes um, just to and celebrate most. and things like that. So it's amazing. <laughs> it certainly is amazing, just like your career, Michelle. Thank you so, so oh, much. Thank you. And uh, yeah, it's been great having you on board. Ty, for the closing words. Yeah, just Michelle, we, we like to do this every now and again. And, and to close, we need to just ask you some quick fire questions. Oh, wow. And, uh, okay. <laughs> so, first and foremost, who who was your favorite person to umpire with? Sure, that's a big one. Um, I would definitely say 
uh, Laureen Delforge uh, that did the Olympic final with me. Um, there are so many, I, it's so difficult to narrow them down. Um, at the beginning of the, my career, Irene Pusenki from, from Argentina, Carolina that's also retired now, um, another person. Uh, it's just uh, any of the New Zealand umpires. Uh, if you get along off the field, you know you're going to get along on the field. Um, and it's just, you connect on the field. Um, the, I had three games with Michi Meister from Germany now in Tokyo, and it just, every game just, we clicked better. We were just more in sync with each other as well. So uh, my, my main aim when I take the field with my co-umpire is to, to have them have their best game with me because then it means that my goal is achieved. So, you know, every game presents itself differently. Um, and yeah, I must say there's very few umpires that I would say um, at international level and especially over the last probably eight or nine years, um, it's been the same umpires, group of umpires that we've, we've, we've grown together. So it's pretty much whoever you get, it's just, you know, if you can gel together on the same, you know, same level from the, from the onset of the, the game, um, then it is a good game. Um, and just for the other umpire to come off the field and to say, I really enjoyed the game with you today, that means the world to me. So yeah, uh, to narrow it down, it's just, it's really difficult to narrow down to one specific person. I can tell you countries that I enjoy umpiring, um, that's a lot easier than to choose colleagues. Um, so yeah, for me, Argentina are amazing. Um, I really enjoy umpiring Australia. Their discipline is just insane. Uh, the Indian girls are amazing. I love the, the Asian teams to umpire them. Um, it's just, there's, there's just, there's mutual respect. Um, and it also helps when teams play and they actually have knowledge of the rules then it's not an argument on the field. It's more discussion. So, yeah. And, uh, I mean, if you, you're going to say which is the good team, which which team were you uh, less excited about having to umpire? Sure. You're putting me on the spot here. Um, I'm trying to think. I think, you know, the, the, the teams, it depends how you catch them on the day. You know, if, if they're playing a good game, uh, you know, they, they would be happy to be on, you know, on your side. My idea is to be fair to both teams on the field. Some teams are more difficult to manage. So uh, it's more your lesser skilled teams that tend to be more verbal than actually just getting on the field and playing. I think if you watch the Dutch women who I don't think any other country touches them at this stage. I, I mean, re I remember thinking at the start of Tokyo, they were not playing their best hockey, but it was almost as if they just, they controlled the game. It was just, they were in charge of when they were letting the ball go, when they were attacking, when they were defending. Um, and they just, you know, operated as units. So if you have an ill-disciplined team playing against them, um, it, it becomes difficult. So I think, yeah, I mean, chirping is part of the, it's part of what we do. Um, but Especially it's a, it becomes, if it's a Yeah, and if you see that they don't understand the rules, then I do get, you know, a little bit irritated. And I think with the, my voice, um, it becomes, it comes across, uh, well, across as being quite aggressive, but it's actually not. It's uh, I also have a bit of sarcasm. So if you can dish out, you need to be able to take as well. Um, but yeah, I think in, in Tokyo, all the teams were really, they were well-disciplined. Um, they were, it was a privilege to to have umpired all those games. Um, so yeah, I think it's more your, your up-and-coming countries that need to still get on board with, you know, what the umpires at this level, you know, how we umpire games, how we control games. So our job is not to get to these major tournaments and explain rules to them. Um, so yeah, so I, I, just at a tournament like Tokyo, I think the teams are all, you know, they they prepared, they know what to expect and what is expected of them. So yeah, I haven't had any. I won't say there's any team that really challenged me to to my depths. Oh, uh, and then and then just to uh, to to maybe wrap it up. Um, which player out there, or, 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 or even umpire, has left you with the best chirp you ever heard on a field? <laughs> Yo, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying. I'm, you're putting me on the spot here. You're doing a good job. Um, I think, you know, the Argentinians would always go, I didn't touch it. So that's one of the things you can always preempt what they, what they say. Or when teams say it's always against us, um, Argentina has a habit of saying it's always against us. You always blow against us. And I'm like, no, it's when you make mistakes. So they do challenge you. Um, I've, I've had some folk bars, even at Tokyo now, the one coin toss, I obviously threw the coin away from me as opposed to trying to catch it. And um, then my one faux pas, I think it was in the bronze medal game where I tried to 
green card, the player. I never look at the cards when I take them out of my pocket because they're in a certain order. I held the card up and I didn't look at it. I felt it felt funny. And I looked up and it, it was the yellow card out. And I was just being in a completely different frame of mind. I just taken the yellow card from my right hand and put it in my left hand. And then I put my left hand up and I'm trying to actually move it to a green card. <laughs> And obviously everyone was just going apeshit on the on the field. And I just all you can do there is actually just laugh at your stupidity. Um so yeah, then I had uh Kelly Hudson from New Zealand was in the video box and she made me a nice little clip with this and a little bit of a sound clip that goes with it as well, ripping me off. But um you, we are human and if, if you don't have a sense of humor, you are gonna suffer. So it's just you, you've got to learn to laugh about these things because today it's you and tomorrow it's someone else. Um, and the biggest thing is, is to support people. You've got to support people through their highs and lows. And I've, I've been on both ends of, of the coin. Um, so, yeah, I'm just, like I said, it's, just, it's been an unreal career for me. Um, experiences, uh, friends made, um, just being part of history. Also, uh, India having their best rankings in the world. South Africa men's, um, obviously, team being ranked higher. Um, it's just, it's, there's so much to take in and it, it doesn't... It, Nothing reflects to me. It doesn't. It's just so. I, all I have is is just a sense of of pride in in everything for hockey. No, rightfully so, Michelle. It, it's been an absolute pleasure. And as we said, thank you so much for joining us today to to hear your story. It's not the last time. We'll definitely be getting you back on, maybe to uh, as as a neutral to digest some of the umpiring performances in the future. Let's see where where those roads go. But uh, enjoy retirement. Enjoy. Uh, Allowed having a few drinks uh, before a game now instead of just. Uh, <laughs> I should I should have tried that trick before the time before retirement you know play around <laughs> with a couple of ideas. No guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and um, I'm more than happy to come on board anytime. Um, just uh, happy to give back to hockey and to hopefully inspire the next generation to to not stand back, not shy away, but rather just you know take an opportunity, and you never know where it's going to lead to. So yeah, thank you uh, again from from my side for everything that you guys do for us. Oh, Michelle, no question. It's uh, the first time you've been on Hockey the Podcast, but guaranteed it will not be your last. Uh, best of luck for your future. I'm sure it's going to be just as successful as your past has been, if not more so. And uh, yeah, you've been a, a fabulous guest and uh, we can't wait to have you back on. Thanks as always. And thank you for joining us for another edition of Hockey the Podcast. It's been brilliant. And what a way to sign off with yet another phenomenal guest. Have a great one. We'll see you soon. Cheers.